So thank you for inviting me back again. Well, anyway, to our sermon for today. Lots of questions to begin with, as I always like to do. My first one, how convinced are you by the gospel? Do you believe that the Bible is the word of God? Do you read it regularly? Does it shape your life? Has it changed who you are? Are you convinced that Jesus is the son of God, that he died on the cross and rose again three days later? Are you convinced that after your earthly death, you will go to be with Jesus and his father in his new creation? Are you convinced enough by this for it actually to change your life? That's what I'd like us to reflect on this morning. How convinced are we by the gospel? And we'll be looking at Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to 31. So if you have a Bible, do have that open in front of you. That's Luke 16, 19 to 31. It's quite a memorable passage that we find ourselves considering this morning. The imagery that it presents us with is particularly powerful. An unnamed rich man who finds himself in torment after his death. Lazarus, a poor man who suffered much during his life with Abraham after his death. Before we get into the passage too much, it's perhaps worth looking at the context. So if you do have a Bible, flip back to verse 1 of chapter 16. Here we see that in this chapter, Jesus is teaching his disciples. He begins the chapter by teaching his disciples a parable about handling money. This leads into his famous statement in verse 13. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And it is at this point that we see that the Pharisees are also present. We read in verse 14 that the Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. In verse 15, Jesus tells the Pharisees, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. Well, this verse in particular will help us to unpack today's reading. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. God knows our hearts. The parable that follows the focus of our reading today is then a lesson for the Pharisees, those who love money, who are devoted to it, who seek to justify themselves in the eyes of others. I suspect, actually, that we might be more like the Pharisees than we would like to admit. This passage, therefore, provides a vital lesson for us, too. Our first point, then, where are our hearts? Let's consider the rich man in the parable. Where is his heart? What is it that he values the most? Let's look at how he lived his life. He seems to have had it all. Pots of cash, amazing clothes, and the very best food. He even lived in a house that was large enough to have a gateway. A gateway that provided him with security and privacy. That enabled him to enjoy his comfortable lifestyle away from the hoi polloi. He seemed to have it all. The man in this parable was clearly self-centred. His life was focused on getting the very best for himself. 
He had no time for anyone else. His hard-earned cash was precisely that, his hard-earned cash. So why should he even contemplate sharing what he had with anyone else? Verse 19 sums up this man, dressed in fine linen, feasting sumptuously every day. He received many good things during his lifetime. And this is where his heart is set. This is what he values most. His lifestyle, rich, comfortable and secure. But verse 20 introduces the second significant character, a poor man named Lazarus, a beggar who spent his time at the gate of the rich man. His body covered in sores, he was too weak even to attempt to stop the local dogs from coming and licking his body. He lived his life in a perpetual state of hunger. All he longed for was a few crumbs from the table of the rich man. Lazarus was well known to the rich man. We see in verse 24 that the rich man knew him by name. The rich man had been so focused on himself that he had singularly failed during Lazarus's lifetime to do anything at all to help him. He had watched Lazarus, a poor, ill, hungry man at his gate, day after day, and yet had shown him not a single ounce of compassion. He showed him no mercy, no pity. When these two men died, however, there was a complete reversal of their fortunes. When the rich man died, he was buried and found himself in what the parable describes as Hades. Verse 23 tells us that the rich man was being tormented. In verse 24, the rich man announces that he is in agony in the midst of flames. In contrast, Lazarus, when he died, verse 22 tells us, was carried away by angels to be with Abraham. The rich man cannot believe the reversal that has occurred. It is now he who is asking for mercy. In verse 24, the rich man calls out, Father, Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. He had shown no mercy to Lazarus during his life, but now asks for mercy for himself. But Abraham does not offer the rich man much hope. He tells him, child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. The consequences of his earthly life finally become evident to the rich man. His heart had been in the wrong place. He was selfish when he should have been selfless. He kept his wealth for himself when he should have generously supported those less fortunate than himself. And now it was too late. Now he was the one begging for pity, for mercy, whilst Lazarus had a much more comfortable <laughs> existence. This was a direct challenge to the Pharisees who, as we saw in verse 14, loved money. But God knew their hearts. I wonder which of these characters we identify with the most. Do we identify with Lazarus, who endured poverty and hardship during his lifetime, to whom no mercy was shown, but who ultimately found himself with Abraham and a merciful father after his death? Or do we identify with a rich man, trusting 
in our own good fortune, living certainly on a global scale, a well-off existence, feigning to show mercy to those less fortunate than ourselves and doomed to eternal torment after our death. Perhaps we could put it another way. Where is our heart? God knows our hearts, but where are they focused? Are they focused on ourselves, on looking after number one, of making sure that before anything else, we're all right? Are we self-centred? Or are our hearts focused on others, on showing mercy to those less fortunate than ourselves, of loving our neighbours? Are we selfless in all that we do? Jesus makes it clear that the way to his Father is by putting others before ourselves. Jesus makes it clear that we need to show mercy if we wish to be shown mercy. The challenge is great, but so too is the reward. The rich man in this parable learnt the hard way. Let us hope that's not the case for us. Let's hope that, unlike the rich man in this story, we don't leave it too late to use all that we have selflessly. Where is your heart? What is it that you value the most? So to our second point, do we listen to God's word? There is much more to this story than simply stewardship of resources. We are called to be selfless, but being selfless alone does not open the gates of God's kingdom to us. Lazarus was rewarded after his death, but not simply because he was poor during his lifetime. There is much more to the story than this. It's worth looking carefully at what Jesus tells us of the background of the rich man in this parable. Do you notice how the rich man addresses Abraham when he first encounters him? In verse 23, he sees Abraham with Lazarus at his side. He clearly recognises him. This is reinforced when, in verse 24, he calls him Father Abraham. The fact that this man recognises Abraham, and what's more, calls him Father, suggests that this is clearly a man with a good, solid Jewish background who identified himself as one of the sons of Abraham, or, in other words, a Jew. This is emphasised in verse 29 when Abraham replies to the man's request to send Lazarus to warn his brothers. Abraham says to him, they have Moses and the prophets, they should listen to them. Presumably this also applies to the rich man in the parable. Presumably he had Moses and the prophets during his lifetime too. Moses and the prophets refers to the scriptures of the Old Testament, the scriptures studied and followed by all good Jews. The law and the prophets, as they often referred, provided Jewish people with a complete guide of how to honour God. They lay it down who God is and what he wants from his people. The rich man, as a Jew, would have studied these scriptures, at the very least in childhood and probably into adulthood. Maybe he continued to study them until the day he died. But how has he been changed by what he read? How had the scripture shaped his life and moulded his character and personality? Well, it appears that they hadn't at all. If the prophets and the law had shaped his life, then he wouldn't have been so self-centred. He wouldn't have neglected his moral duty to look after the poor. 
he wouldn't have ignored Lazarus day after day after day. This man knew the scriptures, but he chose not to obey them. He claimed a relationship with God, with Abraham, calling him father, but it is a hollow relationship based on head knowledge of scripture without the transformative presence of God in his life. His heart was hardened to God's will for his life. He may well have known all the answers, but he failed to live the teachings of scripture out in his own life. In that respect, he was very much like the hypocritical Pharisees. This is in direct contrast to Lazarus, who by virtue of his experience after his death, must have followed the teachings of Moses and the prophets much more diligently than the rich man did. Lazarus's focus, presumably, was on serving God, not money. He was less interested in justifying himself in the eyes of others and more interested in focusing his heart on God. Lazarus clearly lived the teachings of Scripture out in his own life. I wonder if in our own lives we more closely resemble the rich man or Lazarus. Are we like the rich man? Do we know scriptures? Do we read the gospels, the epistles, the law and the prophets and nod along in agreement? Do we claim a relationship with the father of our faith, Jesus Christ, without backing that relationship up with actual substance? Or are we more like Lazarus, trying our hardest to faithfully study the word of God? and to live it out in our lives day by day. Abraham tells the rich man that his brothers have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. But of course, listening must lead to action. Listening must lead to transformation. Paul actually developed this point in his letter to Timothy, which we read together this morning. He writes in chapter 6, verse 9, that those who get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. And here in Luke's Gospel, we see exactly that. The rich man fell into temptation. He fell into a trap that ultimately led to his destruction. Whilst Lazarus enjoys being in Abraham's presence, the rich man finds himself in a pit of flames. Paul urged Timothy in verse 17 to tell those who are rich not to put their hope in wealth, but instead to put their hope in God. He continues in verse 18 to tell Timothy to command the rich to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. This, he says in verse 19, will mean that they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. If only the rich man had been generous and willing to share. If only he had looked out for Lazarus. Perhaps his destiny would have been rather different. For him, though, the understanding that his faith was hollow came too late. Jesus was warning the Pharisees here. Sort your lives out, he was telling them. You claim to know the scriptures, You claim to follow the laws and the prophets, but you have hearts of stone. You are self-centred, he was saying to them. Your focus is on making money, not serving God. Sort your lives out before it's too late. 
And that's the message for us too. If we are living like the Pharisees, if we love money more than God, we need to sort our lives out. If we leave it too late, we'll find ourselves in the same position as the rich man. But it's not too late. We can work hard to ensure that the focus of our lives is a focus that pleases God. We can learn from this rich man's mistakes. We have the Bible, Old Testament and New. We have the words of Jesus. Do we listen to them? Do we allow the word of God to transform our lives, to direct our thoughts and our actions? It's not too late. It's not too late to listen to words of scripture. It's not too late to allow God to transform our lives. Do we listen to scripture? Do we respond to it? Let's try to do that more and more each and every day. To our third point, are we convinced by the gospel? It's funny how after his death, the rich man suddenly began to show compassion. The first time he shows an interest in anyone other than himself is in verse 27, when he says to Abraham, I beg you, father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham, as we've already seen, tells him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. Whilst Abraham believes that scripture is all that is necessary to understand how to live, the rich man believes that more is necessary. He says in verse 30, No, Father Abraham, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He finally recognises that the key to salvation is repentance, but he does not believe that the Bible provides them with enough motivation to repent. He does believe, though, that if his brothers witnessed a miracle, specifically someone returning from the dead, then they would repent. Abraham makes it clear, though, that the sufficient in the word of God to reveal the truth of the gospel, to reveal God, to reveal how humans should live in response to him. Yet, as the word of God had not transformed the rich man's own life, he is sure that it hasn't transformed the lives of his five brothers. No, comes the response. No, that's not enough. They haven't been convinced by scripture. If only they had one more sign, perhaps then they would believe. Just one big sign. Something that definitively proved that God exists. If only someone from the dead could go back to them, perhaps then they would repent. The rich man believes that Lazarus returning from the dead to his brothers would be sufficient sign for them to know that God exists, for them to bow the knee before God and repent. I wonder how many of us have heard this before. If only God could give me a sign, then I believe. If only there was firm evidence, then I believe. If only God performed a miracle, then I believe. Maybe we were in a similar position before we repented and accepted Jesus as our saviour. Maybe we were holding out for a sign. But what does Abraham say in response to the rich man? In verse 31, he says, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. He tells them that scripture is sufficient. If it is not, then nothing that happens 
will convince them of the gospel. There is nothing that will change their minds because their minds are closed. You'd think, though, that if someone rose from the dead, then that might convince them. But just a short time after Jesus told this story, he did exactly that. He was crucified. He died. He was buried in a tomb. But then, three days later, he rose from the dead. He appeared in the garden to Mary Mary Magdalene, then to Mary, mother of James, Salome and Joanna, then to Peter, then to two disciples, then to the rest of the disciples, with the exception of Thomas, then to all of the disciples, then to the disciples again on another couple of occasions, then, as Paul records in 1 Corinthians 15, to over 500 people all at once, then to James, then to the disciples again, then to Paul. Someone literally did raise from the dead, Jesus himself. And hundreds of people witnessed this. And yet, if Abraham is right, if people's hearts are hard, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. If scripture isn't enough to convince someone, then neither will the resurrection of Christ. Remember who Jesus was talking to here. He was talking to the Pharisees, who despite their religiosity, had singularly failed to be transformed by the words of God in the Bible. Their hearts were hard. They were selfish and looked out only for themselves. They loved money. And I suspect that as Abraham predicted, they were not convinced of the need for repentance, even after the death and resurrection of Jesus. So what does this all mean for us today? There's certainly lots for us to think about. Where is my heart today? Am I self-centred or selfless? Do I show mercy to those in need of mercy, just as one day I too will be in need of mercy when I face Jesus on the day of judgment? What about scripture? Am I convinced by the power of God's word? Do I place my trust in what I read? Do I read and reflect on it? Do I allow it to change my life? Do I allow it to flow from my heart to my mind, transforming me in the process, making me more Christ-like? What about the resurrection? Do I believe that Jesus Christ died on Good Friday, then rose again three days later on Easter Sunday? Do I place my trust in him? And that brings us right back to the question that I posed at the beginning. How convinced are we by the gospel? How convinced are you by the gospel? Does it shape your life, mould your character, define your personality? Are you able to say, as Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Amen.